0: welcome to the mercy comments podcast thank you for joining us today we trust that the word of god encourages you and that the holy spirit empowers you
1: good morning good morning what a privilege it is to open god's word uh, with my friends and family i really consider you friends and family um, we're a church that believes that the stories in this book, this book right here, the poetry, the letters, the prophecies, the books of lament, all the way to the New Testament writings, the letters, the gospels, are God's intimate letter to us, his dearly loved church. Um, John six sixty-three. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help at all, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words in this book are spirit and life. And so God is giving us life this morning. His words are spirit and life, regardless of the headlines that you woke up to this morning. I don't know. um, Worldwide current events. I don't know what you woke up to. Bad news at work, loss of friendship, or family member health struggles. um, Maybe it's just a meh. Same old Sunday. I'm not sure what it is for you. Maybe you had a great week, and life is succeeding in a lot of different ways. Um, This morning, we come into this space to receive God's good news for us. We participate. We don't just consume what God has here, but we participate this morning. And we've received great news in this book of Galatians, haven't we, so far? Uh, Sean took us into the heart of the book of Galatians this past week. Freedom. Freedom is what he preached on. Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. And what have we been freed from? We're free from the heavy weight of having to meet all the requirements of the law perfectly. We can't do it. Jesus came to give his life for our imperfections, for our mistakes, for our shortcomings. For the mistakes and shortcomings, we're free from having to rely on our own strength and wisdom to somehow earn the affection of the Father. He gave us his last name. He adopted us into his family. He, uh, he gets rid of our, our blemishes and all. We're free from the heavy chains of dead religion. No longer slaves to a set of rules uh, and systems of one-upping each other. We are free to live and love those around us. That's what Sean was preaching on last week. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And now the title of this morning's passage is Scandalous Living. And uh, it's about walking. It's about the power that fuels our walking. Paul says in in Galatians 5, and this is where we're going to pick up on our passage this morning, Paul uses a couple metaphors in our passage this morning. He uses the metaphor of walking um, as another way of describing the living that we do with the Spirit. But he also uses this metaphor of the garden, right, growing fruit. Uh, Throughout the Bible, uh, the Bible is really bookended by these incredible stories of abundance and fruit. We see at the very beginning in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve in this garden, And they're given everything that they need to be thriving. God lives with them, walks with them in the garden. um, And they were asked to work and keep the garden, it says in Genesis 2. In the book of Revelation, John um, seems to be placing the garden. He sees the garden right in the middle of a bustling city. The river of life flows right through the center of the, the, the street, it says, and the The tree of life on either side of the street, bearing fruit um, in its season for each month of the year. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, that familiar passage where Jesus supplies us the sap and the nourishment that we need, the branches, as we stay connected to the vine and bear much fruit. What a rich metaphor we're stepping into this morning in this passage I have my own journey with gardens. Uh, I grew up in Germany uh, in the 80s. My parents uh, took us uh, from California and we moved to Germany and we settled into this small little village and uh, we ended up getting this little tiny plot and this community garden. I have some pictures uh, from the 80s. I'm in the red sweatshirt uh, there. This was our, it was actually a pretty big plot um, but you can see how we're sort of dividing up the rows and, and beginning to till the soil. Um, I think we have another picture. Yep, that's our family. Uh, I'm on the right standing there. Uh, and we have one more picture, I think. Yep, there we are. Um, but community gardens are a big deal in Germany. They just were a big deal. Um, and Germans kept their gardens perfectly. It was just kind of intimidating to have a plot right next to all these others. But if we were to walk and go to the Arboretum this morning, actually, I think that the Arboretum is is losing their community gardens. They used to have some plots there. But if we we were to walk through a community garden this morning, um, you'd you'd stop by the first plot, right? And you'd see, you know, just look in, you kind of look over the fence and kind of see, how, how are they caring for the garden? And, and the first plot might be really organized like these German gardens, right? Super clean, super intentional. We might walk to the next garden, and the next garden might be just totally wild, almost like the gardeners just threw out the seed and everything just started to grow, but beautiful, wild, but beautiful. We might go to that third garden, and uh, the plants look stressed. Stressed from the sun, they're scorched, the water's not getting to them. You can tell that uh, these gardeners aren't really taking care of their plot. Um, Even the weeds are coming up and choking a bit of this plot. In our text this morning, Paul is making a shift from a teaching on justification that's a big word but in, in chapters one through four, we've been talking about justification. How do we become acceptable to God? And now we're shifting to that of sanctification, the process of growing into the likeness of God, like a garden, um, and bearing fruit. The garden metaphor is going to be our filter this morning. We're going to come back to it a few times throughout the message this morning. Um, But let's, let's get a little granular here this morning. So verse 16, let's go back. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. The desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you don't want to do. The opening scene is that of battling desires, desires that come from the Spirit and desires that originate from the flesh. I don't know about you, but the word flesh is not a word we use a lot in in our home, the Warkentine home. But it's a word we know very well practically. Um, this morning, we're going to start unpacking the word flesh first, and then we'll walk, walk through and talk about the Spirit, and then we're going to talk about, well, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? That's the flow of this morning. But we're going to start with five characteristics I believe Paul wants us to understand about the flesh The first is that our flesh is our operating system apart from the Holy Spirit. The flesh isn't our physicality. It's not our body. Paul's not about using the word flesh here in that way. What Paul means here is that part of us still marred by sin. And some teachers talk about the flesh as our lower nature that breaks out into the works of the flesh if unattended. So John Piper talks about it this way, the works of the flesh would be any human action you or I take, any achievement without dependence upon the Holy Spirit. John Tyson, the pastor in New York, describes the flesh as coping mechanisms for life apart from God. And Paul goes on in verse 19 to describe some of these works of the flesh, what comes from this lower nature. The first three Uh, In verse 19, we see in this list sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. That's a focus on sexual sin. Unbridled, unrestrained, you know, that unrestrained nature of it flowing from the selfish will and all of its filthiness. The next two, in verse 20, idolatry and sorcery relate to misplaced worship because they both share the characteristic of refusing to worship the one true God. Other lesser things have taken God's top priority in our lives. The last eight in verse 20 through 21, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies focus on social sins. And these are sins that disrupt or hurt our communities. And Paul's not meaning to be exhaustive in this list here. He goes on to say, and things like these. There are many things not listed here. I come face to face with the flesh uh, in the context of my family every week. Uh, it's, it's mirrored back to me. Uh, it was that really explosive moment, that uncontrolled response to my kin kid, when he just couldn't snap out of his distraction during work, during his studies. or it was the worry or the anxiety and fear that I landed into my life this week on Thursday. I'll share a little bit about that later on. The flesh is any human action that comes from or originates from that, that willful self without dependence on the Holy Spirit. That second correct, uh, characteristic of the flesh is that we have crucified the flesh, but it remains in us even after conversion. The corrupt operating system, the flesh resides in us Until Jesus returns and completes his work in us, that battle is still present. Paul describes his own battle with the flesh. You guys are probably familiar with this in in the book of Romans, right? Chapter 7, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is not Paul before his conversion. This is not Paul having a crisis moment. Um, This is Paul having written the letters to the Thessalonians, to the Corinthians, and even this letter that we're studying this morning to the Galatians. This is that Paul. There have been times in my life when I felt shame because of the battle. Have you? I don't know if you have. Um, Doesn't maturity in Christ mean that the battle is behind me? Doesn't verse 24 of our text teach us that we've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? How can there still be a battle if the flesh is dead? John Piper says, A Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Spirit. He goes on to describe an ongoing struggle with the flesh. Um, Think of J.R. Tolkien's Hobbit and uh, the dragon. Um, The flesh is like battling this dragon, and and Jesus gives us a sword and says, go and fight this this battle. And and we take a step forward, but then we take a step back and say, Jesus, well, I'm not going to do that because I can't do it alone. And he's like, you're right. can't do it alone. We've got the sword in our hand, and and we go back out to battle, but but on my hand is Jesus' hand, and we go to battle together, and and we deal the dragon a deathly mortal blow. Um, It's sure the dragon is going to die, but it's not dead yet, and it hasn't bled out yet. And so the dragon can still revive or struggle with violent convulsions and still do much harm. That's kind of what this battle between the flesh and the spirit is like. It's a continual battle. The third thing I want us to see here about the flesh this morning is that the flesh is focused on the self, but it hurts those around us. Sean's passage last week was so important because it helped to frame this passage this morning, this personal, individual battle between the flesh and the spirit is not just private, it's not just this mystical private experience, but directly impacts those we love and care about most. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, the flesh operating for itself, right? Right? But through love serve one another. So the spirit lives to love and serve, but the flesh serves itself. And Pete Gregg, a pastor in London, I was was listening to him um, in a a video message that he gave. and, And he tells a story of a friend of his, a psychologist who was studying the same passage that we're looking at this morning. And this friend was looking at our text, and he found that the fruit of the Spirit, each of the nine fruit of the Spirit, corresponds with nine marks of negative relational attachment. Listen to this. Love relates to isolation. Joy to depression. Peace to violence. Patience to anger. Kindness, narcissism. Goodness, criminality. Faithfulness, divorce gentleness, aggression, self-control, addiction. Uh, And this this felt really weighty to me as I was listening to this, because when, when I, as a father, gratify the desires of my flesh and my home, boy, do I have the potential to affect those I love deeply. And it has the potential even to perpetuate generational brokenness. This battle is serious, friends, and it's consequential. Uh, the fourth thing I want us to see this morning about the flesh is it's a section of the garden of our hearts, that metaphor, that we can sow seed into, the flesh is. And Nick is going to expound on this a bit more in our text in Galatians 6 next week. But I need to just touch upon it this morning. We have an active role in this battle. We can sow seed into the flesh or into the spirit. And as we heard this morning, you know, that that picture of the dragon, our hand on the sword, Jesus' hand on ours. Um, But we have the ability to feed the fire um, of our flesh or help put it out. John Stott says to sow to the flesh, referencing Galatians 6, is to pander to it, to coss it, cuddle and stroke it instead of crucifying it. The seeds we sow are largely thoughts and deeds. Every time we wallow or we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. The fifth thing about the flesh is uh, he makes a distinction between occasional lapse or habitual behavior. This is really important for us this morning. Um, He says in verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's not going light here. This is a sober warning, a strong warning but in our English text, it's really hard to, to see the subtlety here in this verse. The word for do, do such things. Those who do such things refers to habitual practice, ongoing nature of this. So it's 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 not just um, an isolated moment. Um, Paul's looking even at his own description uh, in his own battle. And I think that we can understand that what Paul is saying here, it's, it's uh, not the willful, unrepentant embrace. I guess that is actually the, the piece that, that uh, we're talking about this morning, that willful, unrepentant embrace of fleshly desires versus a repentant heart that grieves its brokenness. Those who do such things ongoing, ongoingly, unrepentant, embracing it. There's a difference here. And I believe Paul gives us these two lists, the fruit of the Spirit, and he gives us these vices list, and so, so that the Spirit can speak to our hearts. What we do says a lot about what we believe and what's going on in the heart. That's the flesh, but now we get to talk about The power to our living, the spirit this morning. Who is the spirit? He's the good deposit. Jesus said, it's better that I leave, that the spirit can come. The spirit that we're talking about is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the spirit within us. And what does the spirit do? What's his role in this battle? Well, the spirit gives us a new nature. Titus 3 says he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Ephesians 4.24 goes on to say, Paul, Paul mentions this idea of new self, right? We put on the new self. The new nature created after the likeness of God. This is incredible. What good news we have this morning. We've been given a new nature. This is what the Spirit does. The Spirit also gives us life and leads us. Romans eight eleven. "'If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies.'" through his spirit which dwells in you. He's the one guiding. He's the one directing us. He's the one prompting us. He's the one loving us and convicting us. He's the one going before us and bringing us what we need for life and godliness. He's the one leading us out from under the heavy weight Of having to live that perfect life to satisfy the requirement of the law and puts us on a path to freedom. He leads us. The Spirit subdues fleshly desires, but I say, walk by the Spirit in verse 16. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Did you hear that, church? If we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The power of the Spirit is stronger than the pull of the flesh. The light has overcome the darkness and is still overcoming it. A mortal blow to the flesh has already been dealt. We are promised victory, even if its victory is a progressive victory. And fourthly, the Spirit gives us godly desires and causes fruit to grow. What hope we have in that Spirit. Not only does He give us a new nature, He leads us in the battle. He he powers our living. He helps us overcome the flesh. But now we're promised fruit. He moves us toward community and people to love and be loved. He puts within us unshakable joy when life ebbs and flows. He inclines us towards peace when we want to pick up our boxing gloves and fight. He slows our hearts down when the draw towards impatience begins to rise. He swaps out pride led narcissism and inclines us in acts of kindness towards others. Oh, church, when I look around this group, I see the Holy Spirit at work. I see it, and it's amazing. But I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. Paul is emphatic in our active participation. Walk is not a passive word church. It's an active work. He says, verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 22, bear the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. It's active. Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Hebrews, run the race with endurance. Philippians, stand firm in the Lord. Church, I believe Paul wants us to join in with the Spirit this morning in battling the flesh. But how do we do it? How do we walk by the Spirit? This is where the rubber meets the road. I was really wrestling with this as I've been preparing for this. Lord, how do I, how do I walk by the Spirit this week, this day, in the challenges of my life? And we're not talking about a pursuit of holiness based on the abstinence from fill in the blank. I'm just going to stop doing this. That's not what we're talking about this morning. To say, I will myself abstain from X is putting the cart before the horse this morning. The Galatians here are not being asked to summon their strength through self-effort to stave off these corrupt works. No, that would be another work, wouldn't it? And the Pharisees in the New Testament are the archetype of that approach to living. Works of the flesh are actions apart from the dependence upon the Spirit. That's what we've learned this morning. So, this morning, friends, I believe God is calling us to walk in these four ways. How do we walk by the Spirit? Well, <coughs> excuse me, we turn toward God. That's the first step. Tyler State and the pastor in Portland, Oregon, uh, thinks that the biggest threat to the contemporary church is the constant noise we live with. Man, I feel it. He says, when we live in constant noise, we forget our mortality. Live like this world, and this life is all you've got, and we'll lose ourselves trying to be everything to everybody. Pretending we are eternal is a miserable, dehumanizing lie. It's the original lie. We never tire of believing it and never fail to lose ourselves in it. Stillness, he goes on to say, before God transforms us into unhurried love. It's in the stillness before God, in silent prayer, that God turns over the soil of our hearts, revealing our desires to us and the source of their fullest satisfaction. When we stop moving, stop talking, and arrive present and quiet before God, he takes all our disordered desires, distorted attachments, and codependencies and transforms them into love. John Piper says it this way, We stop trying to fill the emptiness of our lives with a hundred pieces of the world and put our souls at rest in God. The Spirit will work the miracle of renewal, in your life, when you start meditating on his unspeakable promises day and night and rest, resting in him, God is turned toward us, church. Sean said that last week. He's turned toward us, he's looking towards us. He's actively reconciling us to himself, and he's the lifter of our head. On Thursday this past week, just a few days ago, really, um, I found myself in one of these battles. Wrestling with fear of the future. I don't know if anyone else can relate. This is a pothole I seem to hit um, frequently. Questions like Will I succeed in business? I've recently started a business, and so I've got a lot of questions in my mind about that. Will I succeed? Can I actually build the vision that's in my head? Will God provide for me and my family? Uh, Am I on my own? Is God going to sort of, hey, you're on your own. You've got to figure this out on your own. The weight is all on you. It was one of those downward spirals um, that I struggled to get free from. And the Spirit, though, was right there with me, uh, helping me to think through, how do I sow to the flesh or to the Spirit in this case, in my own challenge and in this own battle and he calmed my heart as I was reminding myself of the character of my God that he's proven himself faithful again and again in my life and friends we need to look to Jesus we need to remember who he is turn to him talk to him listen to him sing to him wait on him Read and reread the promises of God. Isn't this how Jesus battled temptation in the wilderness? Right? He quoted back the truths he knew and learned as a kid. The second way that we walk in the Spirit is surrender and follow. Um, it, It... It's the second part of here of walking in the Spirit, and uh, it's a difficult one for us. It really is. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. That's just really difficult for um, us here in America, I think, Um, where the ideal of self-fulfillment, self-actualization, is written into our DNA. It's just hard to yield to someone else, but we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. And Nick wrote a line in our last week's Life Group lesson module. He said, This: Am I living a biography or a testimony? Did you guys get that question last week? Meaning, am I living in my own story? Am I the hero of my story? Or am I living in God's story? Is he the hero of my story? Or is he the hero of the story? And if we see ourselves in God's narrative, living in God's narrative, then even when, especially when we are in battle, um, in the battle to overcome the flesh, we are to take his lead. He's leading us. John Stott says, As our leader, the Holy Spirit takes the initiative. He asserts his desires against those of the flesh and forms within us holy and heavenly desires. That's amazing. He puts this gentle pressure on us, and we must yield to his direction and control. The third way that we walk in the Spirit is confession, and I really think that confession is that fulcrum. If you you think of like a teeter-totter, that fulcrum, I, I, I think confession is that thing that tips the scale towards growth and healing and towards the desires of the Spirit, Uh, When we confess, the Spirit comes to our aid with the healing balm of His love and grace. And He softens our hearts toward Him. You know that picture in the Bible? Hearts of stone, hearts of flesh. God takes our hearts of stone, Spirit does, and softens it so it can beat. This is how He works. And and friends, I felt my heart heal this week as as, as I spent time with him and and just remembering who he is. And as I confess to the Lord my fear and my anxiety, because that's the part of it, right? It's, Lord, I am right now, I'm fearful. I'm I'm wrestling with it right now. I'm not going to hide it. You can see it. I'm wrestling with it. And in that space, the Spirit works. Uh, The fourth way that we walk in the Spirit is ongoing crucifixion. Uh, In verse 24, you know, we have crucified. uh, But it's an ongoing thing that we do. Uh, We continue to take our sin daily, moment by moment, metaphorically speaking to the cross, and nail it there. And not just to sidestep the battle. Uh, we, 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 We need to take lethal action. That's what crucifixion is. It's not just... A sidestepping or just a temporary muzzle. No, this is lethal. When I'm anxious sometimes, I turn. I can turn to snacking and food sometimes. Sometimes I turn to a quick media hit. Oh, let's just keep scrolling. Maybe that'll just distract me from the battle. It's a, it's a tough battle. It can be hard. But friends, I'm asking the Lord to help me win decisive victory against anxiety and worry when I think of the future I'm asking him to help me learn how to more consistently sow to the Spirit in this area, and I think this morning, church, that's, that the Spirit is asking us, asking you, what ways can we sow to the Spirit? And then we walk by the Spirit by believing. This is a part of the work that we do: is believing that actually the Spirit will do this work in us. Jesus constantly calls us to walk by the Spirit by exercising faith. Faith, the sight of a mustard seed, can move a mountain into the heart of the sea, he says, Jesus says. We are to believe... God will give us everything we need for life and godliness. That's a promise in Scripture. We are to believe that the light is stronger than the darkness. We are to believe the blow we have dealt, the flesh is mortal. Victory is in reach for every Christ follower. And God will be faithful to finish the work that he's begun in you. That is true. That is his promise. Band, you can come up. I want to finish just with this thought. Uh, we need patience for the journey. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18, Paul again is writing this letter and summarizes what we've been talking about this morning so well. Let me read it to you. We all, with unfa- unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, that's continuous tense, are being transformed into the same image, into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to another. This is a battle, but it's a journey. It's a progressive battle. It's a battle towards fruitfulness, a journey towards fruitfulness, toward imminent victory. We need patience for the journey this morning, friends, and we're not left with a to-do list or marching orders that we have to solve on our own. We turn to behold the glory of God, and He transforms us. That is walking with the Spirit, friends. We look to Him, and He transforms us by one degree of glory to another. Sometimes that journey is long, friends, and it's difficult. Sometimes we can look at that sin, that, man, I hit that pothole again this morning. But the Lord is faithful. The Spirit is faithful to do this work in us. We turn to behold the glory of the Lord. He transforms us. The Spirit prompts and leads us in the fight. We surrender and follow. We watch the Spirit heal our brokenness as we confess our sin. We pick up the sword and go to continuous battle with the Spirit's hand on our hand and we believe the promise of the progressive victory. Behold, I am making all things new.
0: Thank you, John Mark. Um, We are, uh, we're gonna respond uh, with communion. There's a, Table here in the back. There's two to my uh, to my left. The front one has uh, has wine on it. Um, I want to encourage you to go grab the elements and come back, and then I'm going to lead us uh, lead us to take it together. There, uh, there's undoubtedly um, people in here that uh, deeply resonate with a number of different things that uh, that John Mark said, and I want to uh, encourage you. There's going to be people to my left, to your to your right, uh, even as we kind of. We take communion together, and then we, uh, we close kind of down the, the, the formal part of our gathering. Um, if you're someone that is struggling with any number of different things, I, John Mark was preaching, I was just reminded of a, a, a dream that God gave me years ago uh, when I was struggling with something that was a continual pothole in my life. And I remember kind of waking up, and I was sitting in the mud, and between my, between my, my my ankles, there was like it looked like a snake, and it freaked me out. And I just like ah, oh. and I, I was like, I gotta I gotta kill it. And I was like, I started strangling it, and every time I strangled it, it got bigger. Like every time I focused on it, it just got bigger. And by the end of my dream, I was it, this snake, which was largely like dead. It wasn't actually doing anything, but it was just a massive problem, because it was huge, and my arms were around it, and my legs were around it, still trying to like choke it to death, and uh, I I think that that's how sometimes we treat our problems, we focus on the pothole, instead of turning our attention to the one who solves the problem. Um, and so if that's you, if maybe one of the things you resonated with is just what John Mark was talking about, the works of the flesh, where we depend on ourselves, sometimes that means when we're over-focused on our problem, God gives us the gift of confession, like John Mark was talking about, turning to him, the gift of confession, and focusing our attention on the one who fixes it, all of it. Uh, we can look to Christ, and that's, that, that's, what, that's what we get an opportunity to do. So after we take communion, if that's you, please receive prayer. Uh, conf- confession is not a, I mean, when you say that word, some people are like, <laughs> like you get scared, but that's, there's nothing to be afraid of with confession. It's, we all need it. We've all done it. For us, all of us, we hold in our hands the bread and the cup. And I just want us to pause for a second before we take it and just sit quietly. Uh, I, w- I promise I won't make us do it uh, for terribly long. Uh But just sitting quietly, the reality of what you hold in your hand is is what John Mark was talking about this morning. God has turned towards you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Our job is to turn back to him and to look at him. And so I want you to pause as you hold these elements for all of us to pause. We're just going to sit quietly just for a moment and look at him. Allow your heart to look at him. Now, church, before we take the elements, I just want to encourage you to tell him that you love him. Just express to Jesus, I don't know how often you do that. This is something that's been newer for me. Just taking a moment to respond back to him and simply telling him that you love him. Let's go ahead and do that together. hold the bread in our hands. This is his body, the one who loved us before we were alive, who gave himself for us. We take it in remembrance of him. This is the cup of the new covenant, the better covenant, that we turn towards. As John Mark said, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The old covenant passes away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We take this in remembrance of Him. The band is going to continue to kind of play. We are... Uh, done with our formal part of our gathering. There's stuff in the back that everyone's diligent to kind of set up because it was kind of maybe going to rain and kind of maybe not. But listen, if you still have some business to do with God, go ahead and feel free to do that. There's going to be pl- plenty of noise and people shuffling around, but receive prayer uh, be- before be- before you leave. It's an opportunity. For the rest of us, let's enjoy some coffee, some donuts, and, uh, and one another. We love you. Go be the church.
1: Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.